when the entire quest lies before you. When the third party joins the adventure. When it's raining bears and frogs. That is when heroes rise. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Be gone. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Welcome, brave adventurers, to Heroes Rise. I'm Lennon, and joining us on our quest this evening are two of the wisest adventurers in the land. I'm Astron. And I'm Ryu. And this is the seventh entry into our chronicle, recorded on Saturday the 6th of January and released Wednesday the 10th of January over at HeroesRisePodcast.com. So, Ryu, what's in store for our brave adventurers this week? To start us off, Lennon digs into his adventurers pack to show us a website that's the Swiss Army Knife of Generators. In fact, it could probably generate the entire Swiss Army. Then we take a look at some D&D news as we cover the news videos from D&D Beyond, lots of patches for the Beamdog D&D computer games, Cobalt Press's Creature Codex, and a couple of other random bits that the copywriter couldn't be bothered to write bullet points for. After that, we take a short rest and hear some wisdom from the masters on using weather in your games, before finishing off the show by looking into the scrying pool to see what you have to say. That takes care of all the introductions, so let's take a look at what's in our adventures packs. Do you always carry this much in your bag? If we're going to get out of here, we're not going to need a few things. Name one thing you're going to need the stupid rule for. As most of us who DM know, sometimes you can get a little stuck when it comes to inspiration for really giving detail to your games and campaigns. Sure, most of the time we can flesh out the big picture. We know that the big bad evil guy is going to attack the town at midnight after the players arrive. We know the composition of his band of merry lawbreakers and can even tell you the signet rings that they wear signify that they were once part of the Royal Dragon Knights, hinting at a further plotline for the characters to follow. But when the players arrive in town that evening and set about preparing the defences, we DMs know that there is always that one player who will ask you something you're not prepared for. Does this town have a magic item store? Or I wander into the library, what books immediately stand out? Or me, the cleric and the wizard, walk into the bar, does the bartender look like a paladin? And what's his name? Also what's on the menu? What rumours do we hear? And you see what I'm getting at here. No matter how much we are masters of the universe, every single time the players will find a way to have the minutiae escape us. The most common answer to this is random tables, Ostron's favourite. Now even easier thanks to the plethora that were released with Xanathar's Guide to Everything, you simply grab the table, roll a D, whatever it is, and look up the relevant result. Instant campaign fluff. Whilst some DMs and players don't mind rolling on and checking at the table, I think personally that it takes the magic away from it a little bit, and I'm far too disorganised, <laughs> read lazy, to roll on the table for hours in advance, but luckily I don't have to. A name no doubt many of you that are listening will be familiar with, but if you haven't heard of this website, prepare to have your minds blown. Donjon.bin. .sh, a fantastic collection of random generators completely free to access for anyone and everyone for pretty much all pen and paper RPGs that you can think of, but the two that I use most commonly, and the ones that I'm going to talk about here, are the Fantasy and D&D 5e generators. So let's start out with the Fantasy section. This section tries to stay edition agnostic in its generations, but I would still advise steering clear of the loot generators in favour of the more specific 5th edition generators we're going to be talking about in the second. From here though, you can generate everything from an entire world complete with continental maps through to inns complete with menus, random adventures, towns and cities including demographics, prophecies, locations, quests, the list goes on. 
It even includes a random adventure generator that selects a theme, goal, hook, plot, climax, setting, villains and allies, and they're not half bad either. Whilst, like with all generators, you can occasionally get a combination that is just complete tosh, most of the generator combinations would certainly be great for a one-shot or as a starting point for your own adventures. Now, onto the section that I personally can't live without, the D&D 5e generators, and in particular, there's one on there called Random Generator. This generator is kind of multi-utility, where you select the desired thing from a drop-down menu and it presents roughly 10 options. The generator is broken down into different sections, so you get encounters, characters, items, magic, traps, and downtime. And each of those is then further broken down again, such as items into magic items, minor tones, ciphers, which are consumable magic items. In addition to the random generator, there's also a generator for dungeons, complete with monsters, traps, maps, and room-by-room -room descriptions. There's magic shop generators, random encounter generators, and lots, lots more. There is far too much on this site to cover it in a segment on a show such as this, and I know that we say this every week, but genuinely now more than ever, I personally mean it. I highly encourage you to check out this website. With so much on offer, it'd be hard to not find something that will be of use to you. And as always, links will be in our show notes and over on our website, heroesrisepodcast.com. Just click on the articles and then click on Adventurous Packs. Yeah, I've been using it for a while and I don't use it as often as I should. More accurately, I find out after the fact that I've done a lot of work I didn't have to or got flustered when I didn't need to because of some of the things on this site. And it seems like it's actively being updated to a certain amount. I haven't seen anywhere that gives notifications or news about when they do updates, although I'm sure that's there somewhere. But I did notice, for example, I was looking for an online resource for an initiative tracker. And one of my complaints about most of the ones I found was that you had to basically enter an entire character sheet for every entry into an initiative tracker list on most of the others. This one you can get away with just entering in a character's name and then you can fill in their initiative role on the fly rather than being forced to roll it. I don't remember that being the case a little while ago, although I can't exactly say when it's changed, but that's one thing that I will definitely be using in the future. A few of the other generators are just awesome. The only gripe I had is that in order to get the full use out of name generators, you sometimes have to jump to different areas. For example, the fantasy name generator has common names, which let you specify races, but there are only four of them, human, dwarvish, elvish, and halfling. And the human names can sometimes drift uh, a little or be a little too generic. So, yeah, if you're there primarily to generate names for things, you may have to dig around a little bit. But a generator that will work for you is there somewhere. Yeah. Um, Ryu, you only found out about this website on, I think it was Friday, I yes. brought it to your attention. And have you played around with it since? Had a click around, found anything you liked on there? I have a little bit. I'm really liking the dungeon generator. Mm -hmm. But I think my most favorite generator so far is the um, the random generator under D&D 5e. They have a wild magic surge generator and I love wild magic. It's one of my most favorite things to play and a lot of these are really fun. An unattended object within 20 feet of you suddenly bursts into flame. <laughs> nice. You are suddenly wielding a longsword and any item that you may have been holding falls to the ground in your space. A 
corpse within 20 yards of you suddenly reanimates to scream in agony. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, definitely one that you want to have happen around the necromancer, I think. (laughs) Or worse, when you're fighting a necromancer, but you don't see him yet. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, One of my favorite ones on this is the uh, weird magic items generator. This one generates, as it sounds, weird magic items. Now, you can get some quite sensible ones on there, such as uh, uh, this one here is the Gnome's Maul. It's a magical maul that weighs much less than normal, but it does not have the heavy property. So, you know, kind of weird there. Um, One of my favorite ones, and this isn't going to work very well through spoken audio, but when you see it wrote down, it's not quite spelt the way that it looks but it was called a uh, ikea's nearly instant fortress that when you put down this cube and said the command word it basically unpacked a load of flat pack furniture that you then took 1d10 rounds to assemble or sorry 1d10 man hours to assemble um i've actually given it to a player he's kept it in his inventory but he's only threatened to use it so far hasn't actually brought it out on us the only thing that confuses me sometimes about these generators is some of them on certain settings will give you a list, and it's not entirely clear sometimes how the list is supposed to be implemented. So, for example, the random treasure generator. If you select individual treasure, it will give you a list of 10 items. Yeah. And at first I wasn't sure, okay, is this supposed to be one monster has all of these 10 items on it or is this each list and i mean i cross-checked with the recommended treasure parcels in the dungeon master's guide and figured out that it's supposed to be no each individual line is a treasure that would be found but sometimes it's not as clear for the most part i think when you ask for a generation it gives you a list it's okay each individual item is an example of the whatever you asked for as opposed to the whole thing i was assuming that it was supposed to be a d10 roll like on the treasure generator what you're talking about like you said it lists 10 things i figured you would just roll a d10 and pick what the number was yeah, see, I assumed the list was for, because usually you don't have just one monster if you're looking for, you know, an individual treasure. So it would be, okay, yeah, up to 10 monsters that have now been corpsified. You know, here's your list of what they find on each body. If you click something like the random adventure generator, and there's one part that you don't like, so if you don't like the goal, just click the word goal and it will regenerate just that section. Ooh, handy. This site is absolutely stuffed full of generators where you could literally just randomly generate an entire campaign and the results are pretty good. You know, it's not... uh, A lot of generators out there can be a bit wild in their assembly. This one actually gets it spot on for quite a lot of the time. So once again, you know, we say it each week, but definitely be sure to check this one out. Links will be in the show notes. So though this has almost everything, is there something else that's an absolute must-have at your tables? Found a cool app, book, or other item that you'd like to share with other adventurers and dungeon masters? Let us know about it by emailing sendingstone at heroesridespodcast.com. But for now, let's check out some D&D news. Sire, I have news. And what sort of news do you have? It's not bad news, is it? No, I can't take bad news. Furniture all over town has been turning into monsters. This week in D&D News, 
Neverwinter, the D&D MMO based on 4E rules from Cryptic Studios and Perfect World Entertainment, has been voted by MMOGames.com as the best free-to-play MMO of 2017, beating out both the hugely successful sci-fi co-op shooter Warframe and ArenaNet's Guild Wars 2, who came in second and third place respectively. Two new videos have been released by D&D Beyond, Death and Resurrection on January 2nd, and The Origin of Elves released on the 4th. In Death and Resurrection, Todd Kenrick is joined by Jeremy Crawford, D&D Managing Editor, and they discuss what it means to die and come back. In short, much like all D&D rules, it's entirely up to the DM, but Jeremy does give a couple of helpful suggestions, such as where souls may go to when they die. Some might go to the upper planes of bliss, some to the lower planes, or maybe they became a spirit in the Feywild or a wandering husk in the Shadowfell. Jeremy then goes on to say what it could mean for a character or NPC to have been brought back from the dead. One particular line of Jeremy's did stand out for us, though. Quote, Using true resurrection, someone can be dead for quite some time and still brought back. Were they on the slopes of Mount Celestia, tormented in the Nine Hells? End quote. We promise Lennon's not going to mention the adventure set in the Hells again. No, I am not. Instead, I'm going to talk about the second video, The Origin of Elves. This time, Todd was joined by Mike Merles, the D&D creative lead, who says that whilst humanoid folk are purposely created by deities, elves are somewhat different. In a war in heaven, so the story goes, Grumch, the orcish god, stabbed Carlon, and his blood spilled, and where it hit the ground, the elves arose. Unlike the other races, whose creators specifically had a hand in guiding them, Carlon felt like he was kind of stuck on babysitting duty, and so just released the elves into the world. Lacking the sense of purpose given by most of the other deities to their creations, and remembering a time when they themselves were literally part of a god, elves tend to end up somewhat melancholic in D&D. Mike continues on talking about the war between Carolon and Lolf, who herself rose to power as the kind of evil stepmother of the elves, giving them structure where they were lacking from Carolon. Each side, of course, saying that the other has done terrible things, but who's right? Well, we'll just have to wait to find out. I really like the origin stuff, um, because the um, the lore of the D&D world, particularly as it relates to the gods and the origins of things, always fascinated me. So, point of order, did the orcs exist before the elves? I don't actually know. They didn't mention that. Because it says, I mean, I realize the orcish god is just a way to identify him now, but... Who Grimshay yeah. is. Yeah. So, if, right, if the elves were also, like, Johnny-come-latelys and nobody wanted them around, then that sort of adds to the whole wow we're really pointless feeling yeah i mean it, it could well be i mean if grimsh was there and he created a humanoid race that was the orcs then absolutely you know that's why the elves would have come second but yeah i thought it was really quite interesting how effectively the elves they're always seen as very apathetic and melancholic as mike was saying and i think that that is th their origin of effectively being like the unloved children is actually quite um uh it, it makes a whole lot of sense and that just knowing this little bit of background is going to add so much rp possibility for characters and npcs that i create now that are elvish the folks over at beamdog creators of some relatively minor pretty much unknown video games such as baldur's gate icewind dale and neverwinter nights 
You've probably never heard of them. Anyway, the Beamdog team has been pretty busy lately, bringing us patches for both the Infinity Engine, which Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale run on, and for the Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition, which is currently in Head Start Access. The update for the Infinity Engine 2.5 actually went into open beta on December 5th and is running through until January 8th, after which it'll be officially released. Mainly focusing on multiplayer improvements, the latest update returns the much-loved cross-compatible play options. The patch also includes more bug fixes than you can fit into a bag of holding, and also introduces the Shaman class to Icewind Dale. They also tease that the most recent expansion to Baldur's Gate, Siege of Dragonspear, will be coming to mobile platforms very soon. As for Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition, it's a relatively small patch by comparison for end users, but it does include, quote, a whole host of master server improvements and security updates, end quote. And as a reminder, if you want to get in on the Head Start program and check out the Enhanced Edition of one of D&D's most popular video games, all you need to do is just pre-purchase the game on the Beamdog website and you're eligible. Cobalt Press, creators of some very fine fantasy gaming books, have absolutely nailed their latest Kickstarter for their 5e book, Creature Codex. As of January 5th, the campaign has raised a little shy of $250,000 out of a requested $30,000. So not only is the project funded, but we've actually unlocked a ton of additional stretch goals, too. In addition to the base book, digital tokens, prepared PDFs, and codex pawns are coming, along with some in-depth villainous NPC options, Dragons of the Wasteland, and several different battle maps, and much, much more. Was this the one where they let, there was a certain pledge option that let you create your own monster for inclusion? It was, I think it was like the lowest pledge option. Pretty much anybody who pledged could submit a monster. That slightly worries me. Well, they were going to review it. Yeah, what they ended up doing was you could submit a monster, but you then had to unlock stretch goals for X number of backer monsters are now in the book. And that number is a lot smaller than the people who would have pledged to submit monsters in the first place. So as an example, you know, I can't remember the exact figures, but it was like, if we unlock the $10,000 stretch goal, then we will include 40 monsters. If we unlock the $30,000, we'll put in 50 monsters. And that will obviously give them a chance to pick and choose the best of the best. Okay, that always concerns me about the fan-made... Well, I suppose fan-made is a little derogatory in certain contexts, but... Homebrew. Yeah, the, the homebrew ones... Uh, the non-official resources, I always get concerned about what they're using for a vetting process because sometimes you can find homebrew um, publications that are fairly well put together and have a decent production value, but the actual content is quite far out of left field and in some cases will actually contradict established official resources Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it was just when I first heard about the whole pledge at this level and you can design a monster, I was curious as to what sort of vetting process they were using, if any. Yeah, I mean, if you were to take a look at something like Xanathar's Lost Notes to everything else, um, whilst that didn't contradict any of the classes, we did bring up Race the Feyblood elf race, who had the charm effect that was like an indefinite charm with unlimited use. And 
you know, something like that being introduced into the game would just break anybody's game, no matter who it was. The one thing that I would say about Cobalt Press, though, is I personally have a couple of their books, and I find them to be really good, very well-assembled pieces. Particularly the one that I've got is a Cobalt Guide to World Building. It's quite generic, uh, in that it's not specifically 5th edition or 4th edition or whatever, um, but really does give you a sense of how to assemble a world. And seeing their level of quality for that really does reassure me with the Creature Codex. And I don't know, how do you guys feel about using non-official source books in your games or at your table? It always makes me a little bit nervous because, like I said, I'm not always certain of what vetting level has been established. Plus, I'm just really paranoid if a player wants to use one that I haven't <laughs> used already because, like I said, some of the resources that are out there have literally game-breaking alterations that might not show up until uh, later on after you've already approved it. But, I mean, usually I'll pick and choose. I've never used a third-party resource for monsters or settings to the level where I'm taking more than maybe 5% of what's in there. Occasionally, I'll tend to pull out one or two items or monsters, but usually not a large amount. I haven't really done it with anything other than monsters, and the only monsters that I've used have been ones that have been created within our little gaming group here. So I can't really say one way or the other on how I feel about other published third-party things, but I can tell you that a lot of the stuff on, I believe it's D&D Wiki, like <laughs> ma the magic items, <laughs> that, those, uh, are, those are outlawed. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say, the, the one tool that we can tell you right now that will never be in the Adventurers Pack is D&D Wiki, because yeah. that place just, somebody needs to set a fire <laughs> in that place and just gut it. It is Horrible, horrible. Um, what's even worse is that when newbies are coming to the game, especially in the digital age, you know, you just type, ah, oh, D&D, wiki, because you want to learn everything about D&D, right? And that's what comes up. And mm -hmm. the amount of conversations I've had to have and the amount of hearts I've had to break where they can't have certain things is just, it's depressing. But uh, talking about the source books, uh, not one by Cobalt Press, um, it's by a company called Frog God Games. Fifth Edition Foes is a, a really good um, additional book that I would recommend anybody out there checking out. You get it on DriveThruRPG as a PDF. It's about 20 bucks last I checked. It is possible to buy physical copies though, but um, prior to Volo's Guide for Monsters coming out, so when we only had the Monster Manual, this was kind of like a Volo's Guide. It went through all of D&D from the Fiend Folio all the way through to the latest edition and grabbed creatures that didn't make an appearance and updated them. And this is one that I actually have in my rotation. And again, they are incredibly well balanced, mainly because the sources that they took them from were balanced within their system and they just updated them. But yeah, 5th edition foes, one of the rare exceptions, because normally I don't like third-party source books. But having used that and having used other books by the Cobalt Press, I really think Creature Codex is going to be a, a worthwhile investment. 
Continuing on with D&D news, Wizards of the Coast are back from their Yuletide break and have started streaming once again. Greg Tito took to the mic on the 3rd of January to let us know there's a lot of exciting stuff coming for the Adventurers League in 2018, as well as Dungeons & Dragons as a whole. Of course, he could talk about it, so there you go. He also mentioned some new D&D merchandise will be coming soon, so if you've always wanted your own beanie, or toque if you're Canadian, with the ampersand on it, or possibly a wallet to store all your real-life gold pieces, or even a Strix-shaped syrup bottle. Yep, you heard that right. The folks over at Wizards of the Coast have you covered. Hopefully not in syrup. Unless that's your thing, of course. Alright, I need a moment because I have to look up what Strix looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Type in Trash Witch if that doesn't come up. I was planning to do that after the recording. <laughs> it's a player character from the Dice Camera Action Show. Images. Okay, yeah, I've got it. I've got several different versions of it, actually. People on the internet are weird. Okay. And finally, PAX South starts up on January 12th. As well as the usual Acquisitions Incorporated panels and live shows, the PAX Expos have always been good for getting hints of D&D's future or the occasional outright product launch. We're going to be sending our very own Waffle King, Brian Kinshadow Murray, along to keep an ear out so that we can bring you all the news as we get it. If you yourself are heading to PAX South, though, be sure to write in and let us know your highs and lows of the show. PAX, for those listeners who are familiar, is more well known for being an expo that covers video games and electronic gaming peripherals. However, every show does have a fairly extensive area dedicated to tabletop and tabletop RPG gaming, as well as at least PAX East always has a place or two that is selling D&D merchandise or dice or similar things. So there's usually a fairly large gap depending on what physical location they're set up in. But if you don't play video games and are more into tabletops or tabletop RPGs, there's still a good reason to get to PAX if you can find tickets and don't mind paying for them because it is still somewhat expensive. Yeah, you are going to one of the PAXs later on in the year, aren't you? Yeah, PAX East is scheduled for early in April and I've got a ticket for at least one day there. Yeah, and unfortunately we just missed PAX Unplugged kind of prior to us recording our first show. PAX Unplugged was sort of going on that weekend, so we missed that. That's the one that's more geared towards tabletop RPGs, though, if I understand it correctly. Yeah, tabletop RPGs and just tabletop gaming in general, like board games and stuff like that. That one has... is skewed very much the other way. It has very few things dedicated to video gaming or electronic entertainment, hence the whole unplugged title. Obviously, they still cover electronic resources that can be used at the various games, and there are a lot of board games now that actually have electronic components that are a part of them, but... Yeah, the major PAX event for D&D players in particular would be the PAX Unplugged, but unfortunately there's only one of those, unlike the core PAX Expos, which are... There's three now, right? East, West, and South? Prime used to be the West one, I think. I'm not sure if they call it Prime or West now. I lost track. One thing I did want to 
bring up though just before we move on with the rest of the show is uh, a couple of people have asked us via social media if we're going to be covering the new Critical Role campaign that launches on January the 11th and put a bit of thought into this with our scribes and our producers here and we've kind of come to the conclusion that we don't really cover the D&D Let's Plays out there because Critical Role is by far the most popular one but there is also uh, dice camera action, there's high rollers, there's you know, many other high quality Twitch streams out there that you can watch. We do understand though that Critical Role does attract tens of thousands if not even hundreds of thousands of viewers now and so if there is any major points that we feel need discussion, we will do so in a very spoiler-free way on the show, so you don't have to worry about us ruining your Thursday evening viewing experience. But generally, as a rule, probably not on a week-by-week basis, we won't cover it. Major news, yes. Regular play, probably not. Yeah, because we would mainly be concerned with how critical role may or may not be affecting the D&D game itself. Uh, like we right. mentioned last week, the impetus for a Beastmaster remake in the Ranger class was possibly heavily influenced by the fact that Critical Role homebrewed some rules for a Ranger Beastmaster so that the character over there could be more effective. So that would be the sort of scenario where we would end up covering Critical Role. Yeah, we, we will talk very much about Critical Role's wider place in D&D. We just won't discuss the critical role plot lines and the like unless of course there's something incredibly discussion worthy about them in which case uh, it's not ruled out but again on a week by week basis no no doubt if you are listening to this show and you do like critical role you would have heard of the podcast talks machina which is the official critical role podcast again i highly recommend you check that out and definitely worth a listen to i'm a fan i listen to both worth checking out and so that will bring us to this week's community questions we want to know what are your thoughts on third-party source books. Do you use them in your own games? And if so, do you have any recommendations for books that others may want to use? Have you found anything yourself that is not hideously broken on D&D Wiki? No matter your views, we want to hear them. Details on how you can get in touch with us will be coming up in the scrying pool. Now that we're caught up with the latest D&D news, let's take a short rest and hear some wisdom from the Masters. I am more than the exalted ruler of this land and the master of all I survey. You think you're the only hero in the world? You become part of a bigger universe. Ah, good. That'll be Ostron with the T. Uh, why are you wearing plate armor? It's raining bears and frogs out there. Okay, but I mean, the expression is cats and dogs, and plate armor really okay, isn't I'm, good in I'm going to stop you right there. Look out the window. Uh, okay. Um, how? I assume someone screwed with the control weather spell that's around the studio. Oh, sorry. I was just trying out a few things for my campaign. Show me, show me your head. No, you don't have the hat on. Good. Um, how does the weather matter for your campaign, though? Funny you should ask. Weather. Everybody talks about it, but nobody does anything about it. To be fair, most people can't do anything about it, unless they're the DM, in which case they can make it rain frogs for weeks because someone wanted frog's legs for dinner. But aside from the petty revenge and or cheap laughs, it's hard to know when or why to include weather in a game. In modern times, it's largely demoted to be the bane of the commuter. But in earlier eras, the prosperity of sailors, merchants, farmers, soldiers, and more depended heavily on the weather being cooperative. Since travel above ground leaves the party exposed to the elements, it's surprising how little impact weather has in some campaigns. 
Even when weather is used, it's hard to get the players to pay much attention to it. It's just one more bit of background information that's usually forgotten unless it directly impacts the game. But how can you keep your players interested on what's going on in the sky? Simple. Make it an encounter. When you start getting EXP from dealing with threatening weather, they'll be sure to love it, assuming they survive. Before going into specific examples, it's worth reviewing what a weather encounter should do to qualify as an encounter. An XP-worthy weather event should force the characters to either expend resources to clear the encounter, make an existing encounter more dangerous, or force a story-affecting decision or branch point. Quick examples would include weather events that injure members of the party, that delay or divert the party, weather that forces them to consider changing their planned route or to take some additional side quests that they weren't planning on doing right now. If the party has to debate over what to do with it, there's a good chance that it's at least worth a, a minor XP reward. A hailstorm, for example, poses an obvious hazard to the party. No one's going very far if they're barraged by several icy sling bullets every minute. A party trapped in the open during such an event will certainly lose a good deal of health and will likely have to use spells to defend or heal themselves. But if the party finds a cave to secure themselves, they may lose a few hours, or perhaps a day, but otherwise come out unscathed. Similarly, a heavy fog may delay or mislead a traveling party, but is unlikely to harm them. Do those qualify as encounters? Well, ask the questions. Do they force a use of party resources? And does it affect the story progress? Let's add in other components if you think the answer is no. Suppose the party is being pursued, the enemy force's power is sufficient that facing them is perilous and uncertain, and a storm is approaching. To seek shelter and wait would protect the party from the storm, but it might allow the enemy to catch up to them. By fleeing through the storm, however, they can likely escape their foes if they can protect themselves and their mounts well enough to get to the other side. In either case, it can be an encounter. In the first example, the party is expending time and may need to make checks to hide. In the second, the use of resources and skills is more obvious. Of course, if the party charges ahead, they might run off an unseen cliff or get turned around and head straight back toward their enemies. If they're clever though, the fog can be an opportunity. The wizard might use a scroll of fine familiar to quickly change his ferret into a bat, while the druid likewise uses wild shape, allowing the two to scout ahead and lead the party unaffected by the fog. By their actions, they can either greatly improve, or worsen, their chances of being captured. It could be argued that the fog is not an encounter in and of itself, and thus not worth the XP, but it does serve as a complication to an existing encounter, and thus dealing with it should increase the XP received for dealing with the pursuit. Adverse weather can also be used to make a fairly safe scenario a lot more dangerous. A party travelling along a mountainside path with a wall on one side and a sheer drop on the other is in fairly little danger most of the time as long as the path itself is stable. Add heavy fog and the party is forced to travel slowly or risk straying over the edge. Add freezing rain and high wind, the party has to consider how to deal with it, such as waiting out the rain in some kind of shelter, tying the party members to one another to try and keep anyone from going over the edge at the risk of possibly pulling everybody off the edge, or consider backtracking to take a safer route through the Mines of Moria, for example. Depending on the severity of the weather, the risk of failing might be low, but the penalty for failing could prove fatal, and successfully dealing with that and coming out intact should definitely be rewarded. By including these type of events, you can help the party see the value of their wood-wise members, who can help the party find shelter, lead them along the safest paths, or otherwise help the party navigate its way safely under inclement conditions. 
You can even have them roll wisdom survival checks to allow them to know what weather is coming, possibly giving the party time to prepare gear to help their survival, or possibly even take advantage of the incoming weather event. The party that knows the night will be foggy will be better able to plan an infiltration than one taken by surprise. Forewarned is forearmed after all. Once your players are used to the idea of weather actually having an impact on them and their XP totals, you can bet your players will pay attention when you mention rainfall or wind in the future. And with that, you can start incorporating weather as a story element, which we'll discuss in our next installment of Weather in D&D. Yeah, because speaking of weather having an impact, I've just lost all the lights. Sorry, I'll go fix the spell. Fortunately for us, the scrying pool runs on magic, so let's take a look there and see what you have to say. What news from the north? Riders of Rohan! Message for you, sir. It's time for another good idea, bad idea. Good idea. Having your owl bear your letters. Bad idea. Having your owl bear bear your letters. Last week, we asked you, the listeners out there in the multiverse, what are your D&D predictions for 2018? How wrong are we likely to be? And where do you think our next official adventures will be set? And where do you fall on psionics in D&D? Love them? Hate them? Somewhere in between? Do you have hope that 5e will make the mechanics balanced? Brewhammer, at BrewhammerMFC from Twitter, says, For the first question, I keep thinking Feywild, Shadowfell, or a mix of the two. It would be markedly different than what's been released thus far. And for the second question, Psionics will always be a mixed bag that every edition makes a pass at. I don't see it as something Wizards of the Coast is likely to spend too much time on going forward. Like Artificer, they put it out for better or worse, and leave it up to the players and their DMs to adopt, adapt, or ignore. Gath Memvar on our website wrote, At my table, Psionics are banned for exactly the reasons Ostron mentioned. They're not implemented well, and whenever a PC gets them, they're grossly overpowered. To me, psionics fits two roles, space magic and the magic of absurdly powerful beings such as deities. Lennon is right that psionics would be next-tier magic, but I agree with Ostron that it should be restricted from player usage. If wizards wanted to implement scions for players, they'd have to completely retool the magic system so non-psionic characters have tools available to not be relegated obsolete. Alternatively, they may need to make the two systems mutually exclusive in a fantasy setting. You can have scions or magic, but not both. If they introduce it as a template you can add to monsters, much like the Shadow Dragon template, then it may work pretty well as another tool in the DM's toolbox. If I wanted my players to fight Vecna or Weegis, I doubt they'd have the restrictions of the current spellcasting system. I'm surprised they seem to be pushing forward on psionics given how controversial it is. Scions feel more suited for sci-fi or space operas, where they work well as magic space users, not high fantasy where they feel more shoehorned in. And Marty Chodorik on our website says, For the games I run, I don't feel a legitimate need for psionics. Part of that probably comes from my pseudo-scientific approach to magic in general, and my willingness to homebrew liberally. Other parts may result from A not really understanding psionics or how they should fit into a fantasy setting, and B, getting all the new age vibes I need in D&D from druids and monks, and C, not feeling that magic, as it is currently written, is really missing anything. Perhaps my games haven't reached that level of complexity yet. My off-the-table magic-related mind games are usually confined to trying to figure out the real difference between the ways the divine magic is manifested by clerics versus paladins. Ah, the joys of unending world building. 
but I'm hoping that 5th edition is around for a relatively long time, so I'm in favour of every setting and flavour of previous editions having an unbroken version in this one. 5th edition Gamma World, maybe? Or for the masochist DMs, Kenda, perhaps? Ben Fisner from Facebook says, I don't understand why psionics need to be different from regular magic. You could make a psionic class. Casting bonus is an average of willpower and charisma. Add a few feats to cover some different cases, and you are all set. But making them separate just multiplies the amount of source material that needs to be learned. D&D is complex enough as it is without having to know a completely different system as well. So I just want to say I like all of our listeners immensely, and even more so after this round of feedback. <laughs> and I want to give a special shout out to Gath Memvar, <laughs> who I think is one of our more devoted listeners and a personal favorite of mine. <laughs> Let me guess he's incredibly good looking as well. <laughs> well, I can't go on the record and confirm that, but I would assume so. But you're not denying it is the point. Right, yes, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I will say that I'm mostly in agreement with you there, but the fact that Marty Choderick brought up Kenda, he is now off the Christmas card list. <laughs> there is absolutely no, no, Kenda, no. <laughs> so is there a particular reason you don't like them, or is it just basic racism? It's. I, I will full-on admit, with Kenda, it is pure racism at its finest. Um, I presume you've read the Dragonlance books, or at least you know enough about them that you know what the Kenda are. If not, I'll happily tell you how bad they are. Why don't you go ahead just for the benefit of those who may be uninformed? Of course. Of course. Not you, but the hypothetical listener right. who doesn't know what the Kenda are. So, yeah. yeah. So, the Kenda, if you can imagine uh, they took the hobbits from Lord of the Rings or halflings from D&D and thought, you know what these guys need? Too much sugar in their diets and a huge dose of kleptomania followed by, what's that big red button that says don't push? Eh, screw it. <laughs> and no, that's... They, they don't actually steal things, you know, they just borrow... Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so they they are just... The species as a whole, they live their lives like they're wearing plot armor. If we go back to that episode where we were talking about the different types of uh, the dying players everywhere, I think was what it was called. Yep. These guys are like... They, they are knights. They just fully believe in the in the plot armor. And the, the thing with Kenda that I really hate, and this one admittedly is not their fault, but you know that there's always a player in your groups who is like that guy yeah they will play a kenda because uh, they, they have a yeah. role play out for anything <laughs> outlandish or annoying that they do yeah the only reason you would want a kenda in your party is because you hate your party <laughs> that is the only reason that they are there um and i i don't know anybody other than that guy who actually likes them now they have been in since second edition because they were a Dragonlance thing they were also in three and three five and i believe they were in fourth but by that point i just stopped caring about them <laughs> and yeah they they are just the worst race ever and I, i'll tell you what i'm gonna write a whole article on this and i'm gonna post it on the website i'm looking forward to it <laughs> it's gonna have a lot of words in it they will mainly begin with the letter f <laughs> anyway going back to the actual <laughs> feedback though other than kenda um yeah i i do like ben's point of view of uh you know having psionics is like a different flavor of magic but still within the confines of the magic system 
I think that that's a good way of, of covering both. But I also feel that they probably needed to do that from the initial printing of the books rather than try to adding it in later. Yeah, and that was sort of my point is that there's so much baggage with psionics by this point that it, it's it's a mess. Like They'd have to do a hard reboot on them at this point, and I don't think the Unearthed Arcana they released does that. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic, or actually, no, that's not even right. I'm cautiously pessimistic. I'm sort of assuming they're going to screw it up, but, I mean, they haven't gotten very much wrong with 5th edition, you know, glaringly wrong, so it's possible that they could pull a rabbit out of their hat or something. They haven't put the Kender in yet, so they're fine in my book. That's yeah. Yeah, I think we established that. In general feedback, Barty Chidoric says, Another fine episode with another engaging debate. And it's nice to know that Lenin can be as wrong as Ostron was about min-maxing. Also, I look forward to hearing Ryu take a strong stance on a topic so I can disagree with her too. Teehee. Yeah, one day we will get Ryu into a debate. It is not this day, but it will happen. Be afraid. Yeah, that, that's mainly why we haven't <laughs> let you into a debate at the moment. And to recap our community question for this week, what are your thoughts on third-party sourcebooks? Do you use them in your own games? And if so, do you have any recommendations? Have you found anything not hideously broken on D&D Wiki? No matter your views, we want to hear them. Details on how you can get in touch coming up very, very soon. And so that brings us to the end of the seventh entry into our chronicle. Heroes Rise will be back with our eighth entry next week on January 17th. But before we go, we want to know, for you, dear listener, how was the show? Whatever your thoughts or feelings, we want to hear them. You can comment on this show's post on our website, heroesrisepodcast.com. You can find us on all good social media at Heroes Rise D&D, or you can email us at sendingstone at heroesrisepodcast.com. This show is a two-way conversation. Your feedback is an important part of everything we do here, so please take a moment and tell us your thoughts. Also, make sure you're never caught in the middle of a quest without us by subscribing to our feeds at feeds.heroesrisepodcast.com or by searching for us on iTunes and Google Play Music. And if you like the sound of what we do, we're always looking for new adventurers to join the party. And all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in our show notes. No matter your passion, scribing, dungeon mastering, or audio alchemy, we're sure to have a spot at our table for you. So all that remains is for us to thank the people that make this show possible, our head scribe, Baxter, our social media mage, Ray Ray, and of course, our audio alchemist, Mikey. A special thanks go to Vince Fept for all the awesome music you've heard throughout the show. Be sure to check him out at vincefept.bandcamp.com and Lowe of Lowe's Layer, the designer of our banners and avatars. You can find him on Twitter at RealLarryD and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Lowe's Layer. But above all, we want to thank you all for tuning in and listening to our tales this evening. And until our paths shall cross again, fare thee well, brave adventurers. To start us off, Lennon digs into his Adventurer's Pack and shows us a website that's the swift... Yeah. And Adventurer's Pack in three, two... As must have a... Wow, <laughs> what a great start. Okay, let's try that again. <clears throat> beep, beep. No, I was, I was reading ahead a little bit so that I wouldn't...
be too thrown off by some of the Britishisms. <laughs> uh, this one's actually by Baxter, so oh, there shouldn't okay. be, if there are Britishisms, he's doing it wrong. <laughs> All right, actually, what am I talking about? He's doing it very right if there are Britishisms in it. <laughs> no, I'm going to go with wrong. I'm still good with, with wrong. Do you have hope that 5e will make the mechanics palatable? Palatable. Do you have hope that 5e will make the mechanics palatable? 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 So where are we Sorry, going now? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I have someone in the background laughing at me profusely and trying to keep his giggles off of the recording. <laughs> if he could, that would be most palatable. <laughs> Continuing on on our website, Marty Choderick said another Chodorek. fine episode. Right. <laughs> Will you stop making me read his feedback? And in general, feedback. Feedback. <laughs> feedback. <laughs> do you see what you do, Marty? Do you see what your name does? Dragons make me happy. What can I say? 